You're listening to Radio Primavera Sound, proudly presented by Cupra. Welcome to the weekly review on Radio Primavera Sound, the radio show where two grown men edit, not this week, uh, try to understand the world they live in by discussing some of the cultural goings-on with the guidance of the ever-fragrant Mar Barbeldu, a woman who has forgotten more about TikTok the last time she had a hangover than you will ever learn. Today, we examine our album of the week, which is Björk's Deep Digging for Sora. We discuss the latest Primavera Sound news. Johan goes mad on dad culture, and Ma has the only celebrity roundup you will ever need. But first... That is Depeche Mode with the eternal, eternal enjoy the silence. And I have to apologize. I have to apologize every single time to Mar for massacring <laughs> her name. I, I allow you. You're the only person who can just invent a new name. They call me. Uh, there's a football player who shares the same name with you. And uh, I was listening to, and uh, in a game against Barca recently, he got sent off early on. And I was listening to the whole week of people going on about like, how stupid Baiverdu was and how he'd done done wrong things and uh, I kept on I didn't know that well I don't know anything about football so that's not a surprise good <laughs> uh, and we welcome Marta Sally Crew, uh, director of Radio Primavera Sound and Depeche Mode fan correct well um, yes hello um, after att attending an, an event like yesterday's uh, Berlin press conference of Depeche Mode and, and those days that I was uh, be preparing for the interview I had with Martin Gore afterwards, uh, I realized that, well, it's difficult to uh, claim you are a Depeche Mode fan because, I mean, they are like crazy fans of Depeche Mode. So I would only say that I am... Um, Amateur <laughs> of Depeche Mode. I mean, I've been listening to them since I was like a kid because uh, I came into Depeche Mode music when I was like eight year old. I always like al always explained that I had a, a, a tape because I'm a child of the 80s. I mean, I, <laughs> I had tapes, I recorded tapes and I had uh, on one side, I have a selection of uh, Depeche Mode's Violator, uh, uh, Enjoy the Silence Amongst Them. And on the other side, I have uh, like a, a, a Japanese anime that was very popular in Spain those days that was called uh, Oliver Benji. Um, I mean, uh, a, a, a football, a, a soccer anime. <laughs> Me not being interested <laughs> in soccer at all, but it was very popular. So, I mean, imagine like an eight-year-old uh, having anime on one side of the cassette and on the other side, uh, Depeche Mode. Well, not being interested in football, that must have made the uh, Depeche Mode press conferences. Yeah, <laughs> a bit, a bit tell strange. me about it. Um, 
And to to, to uh, anyone who who didn't hear, um, it was uh, they announced a new album and they announced a tour, including two Primavera Sound dates, which are the Barcelona um, and Madrid. Um, and um, they didn't talk that much about the new the new album, but they did talk about Arsenal and Chelsea. For, yeah, for... I mean that was that's that's why uh, the the host of the press conference it was uh, Barbara Sharon, which it's uh, uh, an an iconic figure in music business that I was not uh, aware uh, she existed at all, but it, it turns out that she's like a, a pioneer female music journalist turned into superstar PR. Uh, I mean, she was someone that was key for Madonna being uh, a star in the UK when she arrived uh, from the States. She's also half worked with the Rolling Stones. I mean, she's uh, quite a character and someone who has quite a history. Uh, she uh, published a memoir recently, and I mean, it's kind of an, an, an important figure, but uh, she being the host, and I mean, I like her presence there because, I don't know, she was not like the typical uh, host, like uh, the weather girl. I mean, she's like a woman in her 60s. And so I, I like that image of, okay, we are not having uh, a girl like to be like the object there. But uh, to be honest, the questions she made to Dave Gahan and Martin Gore were not very interesting. And it ended up uh, after the press conference, we didn't know nothing we didn't know before when listening to when reading the, the press release that we had the day prior that was embargoed. I, it was one of those interesting things. I was watching the live stream on their Facebook page, and there were, as the ways way of these things, you have a chat, and people were getting quite <laughs> angry about it. To be yeah. honest, yeah. Also, I'm, I'm I'm sure that there was some misogyny uh, <laughs> on the on the mix, but 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 it was not really interesting. I mean, after the press conference, what we learned, for instance, that. Things that I wanted to know before uh, attending the press conference, we knew that the title of the album, which is uh, Memento Mori, also the title of the of the tour, uh, that was uh, chosen before uh, Andy Fletcher's death. I mean, the whole point of the press conference, which is something that I mean, uh, Depeche Mode tend to do this this kind of things like uh, hosting press conference to announce albums and tours but this one was especially meaningful because there was this stuff that after after Andy Fletcher's death in May uh, this year if the band was uh, continuing to making new music but the thing is that uh, before uh, Fletcher's death uh, the band was already working in this new material in fact the songs that we are gonna listen to on the album Memento Mori which is scheduled to be released uh, due to uh, next spring. Uh, the songs were written during the pandemic. That's why uh, there's this reflection of the thing that we are all gonna die in the end. <laughs> uh, that's the, that's the, what the title means, which is this uh, adagio that's uh, a classical one like from the times of the ancient Greeks and Roman and it's like okay you can be very popular you can be very rich you can be very vain but in the end 
we're all gonna die, we're gonna end up in the same way. Also, the Christians really like this, this idea. So, it sounds a bit morbid that after having one of the core members of the band being dead at the, at the age of 60, which was pretty early for, I mean, um, usually now people, I mean, we die. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> we die older, <laughs> luckily for us. But the thing is that it was all uh, already said before Fletch dying. So you interviewed them after, right? Uh huh. And yes. that, that that's coming um, and is well, we're going to be bringing the most out of it, <laughs> correct? <laughs> of vid course. Video and audio and um, and words. Any any just sort of small snippets you can give us to? Uh, well, something that I'm. I, I, I think it's interesting and um, well we during the press conference we we heard a, a snippet of what would be one what will be one of the songs of the album and it really sounds really really catchy so I think that uh, we have a, a potential hit uh, coming uh, also an interesting thing was that um, they've been uh, they've, they've worked uh, with uh, with a producer of their of their last of their last album which is uh, sorry because I'm looking at James Ford which is uh, this producer who has worked with Arctic monkeys primarily with them I mean it's the, the name who has made him kind of famous. Um, he was the producer of Spirit, the Depeche Mode uh, last album, but also um, they have worked with uh, Marta Saloni, which is uh, a name who has been sounding in recent years in the producing world. She has been awarded and of course she's a woman. She's a, so um, this, this is not that that I mean, it's, it's like uh, the producing area is one of the more masculine of the industry. So that's interesting. Also, uh, what I think it's important is that um, the Pesh Mode uh, were very tired after the World Spirit Tour, their last tour. It was the longest tour they had ever made. Also, it was the gross, grossing tour. I mean, they are making lots of money. I mean, even though they've been uh, uh, as a band for more than four years, I mean, they still um, have a lot of uh, muscle relating to uh, <laughs> creating money and um, it seems that after that tour they were a bit of exhausted um, both Dave Gahan and Martin Gore released solo albums so there was a bit of uh, mm, maybe they are kind of a bit of fed up of each other but uh seems like after the pandemic that they couldn't tour, that they couldn't make music, they realize how they need to keep on doing this. You've seen them live? Wow, plenty of times. Oh, right, I, I thought it was only once. And how are they... No, 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 no. I mean, I saw them the first time when I was a, a, a teenager. And afterwards, uh, I think I have seen them every time they have played in Barcelona, but one because it was um, after my child was born. So, and also I see, saw them at the Benicassim Festival. So I think that at least like six times. Whoa. Yeah, 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 I mean. So I, I've never seen them. I think I'm gonna be quite typical of the audience at Primavera because I, 
really like them in a greatest hits but like i don't know i don't know much more than that um and i've never seen them but i'm really really looking forward to them um how do you think they're going to be? I mean, will will I get the greatest hits or am I going to get B-sides? You're going to you're going to have both. I mean, not B-sides, but I'm um, I'm sure that they're going to they're going to uh, have the the new material uh, on the on the show, but they also play lots of lots of of greatest hits. Uh, in fact, the first time I saw them, it was when they were with the tour of their second greatest hits album and my god, that was <laughs> epic. <laughs> Uh, but they, if you uh, listen or saw uh, some of some of the videos of or of live shows, because they have a tradition of uh, recording and publishing live shows. It's a tradition that comes from 1988, Depeche Mode 101. That's also a, a film by uh, documentary DA Penn Baker, and it's really, really. Mm, interesting because I mean he's a very good filmmaker. We have also uh, very young fans that join them on tour. I mean it's it's a I mean it's a it's a very good movie, not just for for the Page Mode fans. But um, if you listen to the to any of these recorded live shows, um, you'll see that they um, they have a lot of greatest hits on them, and that they are very. Um, ritualistic i mean they it's it's like a communion i mean there's uh they are able to create a, a communion with the people attending there for instance this this is something like very iconic that when um when uh never let me down again uh, when they when they perform this song which is one of their maximum hits uh, all um, fans wave their arms and it's like crazy. I mean, it's like I mean, you. I'm I'm remembering it, and it's and I'm getting goosebumps because I. Uh, I mean, I've been at Palau San Jordi in Barcelona, lots of times when this moment of the, oh, everyone waving hands, and it's um, quite a. It's it's quite something. They played a video um, yesterday. Uh, before or after, I can't remember the, the press conference, and that was one thing I noticed. Everyone was kind of waving their yeah, hand. I didn't realize that, that was this a... Yeah, because it's it's a it's an iconic moment for all Depeche Mode shows since uh, since since at least I mean on on this um, Depeche Mode one on one documentary from 1988. I mean people was already doing that. I mean because that was the tour of music for the masses, which is the one this uh, this this song is included. So at least uh, they've been doing that. <laughs> the waving thing since since 1988. Now I know you've got uh, loads of things to catch up with um, after going to Berlin yesterday. Just one final thing, Mark. I'm I'm guessing you're not a big Depeche Mode fan yet. I yet, might be wrong. Yet, I might be wrong. I, I didn't even know like this. I know this song, but I didn't know it was Depeche Mode. I was like, I don't know. I don't know. It's a song everyone knows, but I didn't make the relation in my head. So now I I feel like I I know a bit more. Like at least I know this is Depeche Mode. So, Marta, what what should Ma listen to? Uh, well, I, I would say there's there's these these two iconic um, uh, singles collection. The one is uh, from 1981 to 1986 and or 85, and the other one is from 86 to 96 or something. I mean, these two albums are amazing. I mean, their their are great. Afterwards, um, I'm not that keen on what they are doing. I also I, I like the Delta Machine, which is one of their 
last albums because was they sound a little bit more um, like naked, like like the sound. Uh, and and it was an, an interesting one, though I know that it's not a, a fan favorite this album. But but I like uh, Delta Machinas them kind of reinventing themselves. But I would say stick to the to the classic singles collections because they are there's there's gold. I mean all tracks are awesome. And I am, um, for instance, reviewing them these days. I, I've become pretty obsessed with some of the songs that that, that I mean. I also knew them, but they were not among my favorites. And now I'm I'm pretty obsessed with with behind the wheel because the lyrics are are very interesting. I mean, Depeche Mode uh, are very sexy, and all songs. I mean, there's a lot of death. There's a lot of uh, reflection about religion, the dark side of religion. But there's also a lot of sex and sexual tension, not in an obvious way, but for instance. Master and Servant is a song that it's obviously about uh, bondage and all of that stuff. But also, and this is something that I had missed when I was uh, young. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> when I was young, um, Behind the Wheel, it's also a song about two, two people that are kind negotiating who who is behind the wheel when they are uh, having a, a sexual relation. And it's, I don't know, I'm pretty obsessed with this song right now. I can't wait to develop a Depeche Mode personality now. Like, uh, yeah, I listen to Depeche Mode. Yeah, but did you know Behind the Wheels about... Uh, yeah, a, a, I bet you didn't know that. <laughs> I totally knew it. Uh, and and uh, Fletch, the one who died, used to live in Siege as well. There you go. Oh, yeah. In fact, um, uh, he he died of natural causes. It seems that, um, well, one of uh, the main uh, arteries of... Mm, of, of I, I don't know. Mm, I mean, from one of the, it, it's a this, is this an English word arteries? Yes, like, okay. yeah, yeah. Arteries. I mean, he has an, an artery that that end up uh, functioning like natural cause. But uh, the rumor when when he died, the fir- one among the first rumors was that he had died from a bike accident in Barcelona because he had a bike accident in Barcelona, but it it, it was not the the cause of the death. Oh, I didn't know that. Didn't yeah. That. Thank you so much. Uh, when is your when, when's the first fruit of your labour out? Uh, I mean, I'm 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 heading right now to the to the to the computer to to to. I mean, I have uh, work a lot <laughs> on it, but I mean, I I, I need to uh, write it down, and we're gonna have it. Uh, the the video of the of the interview. Our colleague uh, Nacho, uh, shout out to Nacho. Uh, he's already working on the on the video that it's gonna be published on the uh, Primavera Sound YouTube page. Then we're gonna have the uh, written version on Rock Deluxe, and we're gonna have the audio version in in RPS Presents in our in our podcast. Lovely. And after that, we should listen to Depeche Mode, but uh, we're not going to. We're going to listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Marta, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. By the way. I'm a big fan of the <laughs> weekly review, so I, I, so it's it's been a pleasure to be here. Please Anytime, come back. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You're only over there. <laughs> Thank you.
that, that is the beautiful, beautiful sound of Björk uh, with Mycelia from her new album, Fossora. And if we're talking, le- le- it's legends today, it's legends. It's legendary, it really yeah. Is. Do you know what, Mark? I'm not just saying this, but your waistcoat is very Depeche Mode. Is it? Yeah, it okay. is. Rob agrees with me. Okay, Rob agrees with me. Nice. Um, I, I could probably actually find a picture of one Depeche Mode in a waistcoat nice. like that. So today is the day I actually ha- developed my Depeche Mode personality. So now I have the, the clothing already. Now I have to listen to them. Okay, nice. Nice. Yeah, it's Depeche, Depeche Mode. Um, all right, Björk, who is... Um, An icon, a legend, a queen, a f- never seen before artist, um, breaking all the molds. We love her, yes. Bjork. I love her as well, but I was, I think I've said this before, but I was under the impression that young people didn't love her. And the last time, I think it was the last episode we talked about her, and not about the album because it hadn't been released, but, and I said, obviously, uh, young people love them, but then I was listening to a podcast, not ours, another one, yesterday, and they were <laughs> like, What you do, what? <laughs> yes. I, I, I have other podcasts that I love. You're I'm sorry. Awful <laughs> um, and they said, like, yeah, Gen Z has like recently become obsessed with Björk, which is kind of weird because, well, not weird because she's a legend, but it's interesting because I feel like everyone, young people, are very excited about this album coming out and and listening to her singles before the whole album was released. And everyone, I don't know, feels like they everyone loves Björk. But it's true that the last few albums that she put out, like um, 2017 or something like that was the last one or something, um, there were young people and not everyone was talking about it. It's like people, at least young people or not, fans that have been fans since forever um, didn't talk about it that much so it, it you're um, correct that it's something new that people young people my age and me myself too because I I don't remember being excited about a Bjork album being released a couple of years ago but now in this one I feel like oh my god this is my queen this is my mother this is everything to me so what's changed? I don't know I, I was trying to think about it and I think Björk speaks to this generation because she's this weird person that lives in I Ireland, I, I, Iceland. That she li- yeah, she lives yeah, there, yeah. right? Um, and and that's whatever, and that's this music, and she's like also like friends with a lot of the people that we that Gen Z loves, like Arca. Um, Shy Girl, who also released an album um, this week. Um, she's friends with these people who are actually very Gen Z prone. And uh, I don't know, I feel like she speaks to this generation because we're on this like post-ironic kind of era among young people, like weird stuff. Um, not in a quirky way, but in a, I don't know how to explain it, in a Bjork way. <laughs> and and she she's Bjork, so what more, like, it's it's the essence. It's like mother, like, as they young people say, and when they see, like, a legend, they call them mother. So Bjork is, like, actual mother to Gen Z. I feel like she walked so Gen Z could run. And, and that's why we owe her everything. And also there's like a lot of memes um, on Twitter um, with um, Bjork on it. So people maybe 
got into her more because they saw her more in their timeline. Like there's pictures of of Bjork meeting um, like celebrities, like Beyonce or something like this, like very mainstream. And Beyonce being like, "Hi, Bjork," and Bjork being like weird, like "I have riddle for you," <laughs> and then something, some like a riddle, but you can Im- imagine Bjork meeting like actual celebrities and being like this like I have riddle and then <laughs> explaining like a riddle and, and then Beyonce being like oh, okay okay Bjork and also my last um, thing that I thought of like why do what are we obsessed with Bjork now I remember Katia um, this is only for me I bet it, it doesn't relate that much but Katia is like one of the most famous drag queens that came out out of um, RuPaul's Drag Race which is the the contest show most fo- famous contest show of drag queens um, in the US and and one of the the challenges they do is um, like cosplaying a celebrity and, and impersonating like impersonation and and she chose Bjork and it's one of the most iconic moments when Katia does Bjork in in RuPaul so maybe that all of this mixed together explains why Bjork is mother has her laying an egg been memed? Um, I bet it has. I, no, that, it must be, surely. It, that it was... has to, because the, the title, has she laying an egg been memed? It, it has to, it has to. Like And, and the Oscars um, thing she wore, like the swan, the, dress. the swan dress. Like, how can she not be the most precious human we have I, I am entirely in agreement with you. I mean, first, a, a couple of things. Like, firstly, you say she's kind of mother to Gen Z, and she literally is. She has, yeah. she has her, like, two children who, who actually feature on the new album. Yes, and their children, yeah, um, yeah, they're amazing. I think they are very, um, like, they're fans of niche meme accounts on, on Instagram and Twitter. Like, Bjork's children are, like, actually Gen Z. Yep. Yeah, and the other thing I, I, I you were you said something about like not an ironic way, and I think that is maybe one of the things that appeals in that Björk loves loads of random stuff, but it's never enough. It's always heartfelt. You know what I mean? Like like she's she's really into sort of Gabba, for example, and you know there's no question that she loves Gabba, and there's no question that she loves wearing a swan. It's like it's like it's very very. I, I find what she does heartfelt but never boring which mm-hmm. i think is a really beautiful combination and maybe quite a gen z combination i don't know i mean yeah. I'm, I'm so the, the interesting thing is as well i mean uh for someone like me who was a uh, teenager in the 90s Björk is is our goddess as well like when she came out in the, in in the 90s um but like for people in the 80s as well because she like her the sugar keeps a band people absolutely loved it. so she's just been at the top for, for so long it's absolutely incredible and I'm particularly glad because um, Fasora is her 10th studio album She Who Digs it means oh okay I mean it, it kind of it's in, in incorrect Latin but it's oh, okay. sort of like a Latinization means um, She Who Digs um, and yeah what did you make to, to Fasora in, in particular I loved it and I love that it it starts with the most eclectic song I feel like like the first song is the one that total if you're not in the mood of Bjork <laughs> listening to that to begin the album is like no no okay I'm in the mood now like 
I feel like on the verge of, of becoming insane in a good way. Like I feel validated to go completely insane. Like every weird thought I have is correct. Nothing makes sense. And I will probably throw myself out of this building. <laughs> I mean, don't. <laughs> it's not the same with you. <laughs> this, is, this is exactly what I expect of an very good album like to completely change my mood and to decide which mood I will be now on like Björk said now no you're gonna feel that and she she completely achieved it just in the first song and and she keeps the whole mood throughout the I, it's quite long um, the album like it's not like minutes, yeah. yeah it's not like it's a 20 minute album that manages to keep a, a, a mood for the whole 20 minutes it's like almost an hour of this <laughs> on the la on the borderline of insanity and and I love that I feel like when I was look I when I was listening to this album and we did that last week like we tried to explain how we felt about the album through a, a breakfast but I was <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I tried to I tried to like explain through a metaphor like a visual thing how I felt listening to this album and I felt like do you know when there's like I feel. I hope you are like a Simpsons fan. You made a reference the other day, so I hope you get this one. When there's like special episodes in which they become like 3D or in person, yeah. like there's human characters suddenly, and it's like a special episode in which like they go through another dimension. That's how I felt. I felt like a, in a special episode of The Simpsons in which suddenly I'm like 3D when I was a, a cartoon before listening to the album. <laughs> Do you know what I love about the opening track, Atopos, which mm -hmm. was also like the first single? It's like she was yeah. talking about the album. She was like, yeah, it's influenced by Gabba, but with a lot of woodwind. And like, it, it's kind of typical, but you're like, really? Really? What the hell is that going to sound? And then you put it on, you're like, oh, it sounds like that. I'm like, yeah, it, it's it's influenced by Gabba, but a lot of woodwind. And it's just, it's just like to think of that combination and then to actually do it, to be able to pull that off. Um, it's been like we were saying about Rina, Rina Sawayama, mm -hmm, wasn't it? Yeah. So, you know, like to come up with like UK Garage Country Crossover and then to pull it <laughs> off. And it's like Re um, Björk does exactly the same thing um, as well. For me, um, like, I, as I say, I've been a Björk fan since, I mean, the early 90s, probably. And um, it reminds me, this album reminds me a lot of Medulla, which was an album she released in 2004. Um, which she did lots of a cappella things, um, and um, do you know? Do you know that album? I was I, I have a mental illness in which I only <laughs> know albums, and um, for the covers. So, oh yeah, I I it's not the one I listen to the most, but I know which one you mean. Yeah, it's got one of my favorite ever Björk songs on the Triumph of a Heart, which I absolutely do, and it kind of reminded me a bit of that because there's lots of. Although there there are the sort of Gabba Woodwinds kind of elements, there's lots of a cappella things as well. Like the song we were we were previously listening to, Mycelia, is absolutely beautiful. It has for me the sound of the year. All these like a cappella voices, but they're kind of produced and swooping up and down, and it's one of the most beautiful things I've heard in ages. And so this reminds me a lot of Medulla, um, which is a very very uh, good thing indeed. Um, have you did you see Björk when she was at Primavera? Or that was that was no. But she wasn't at this primavera. No, no, I think it was 2018. No. And she's doing the Latin American ones. Yeah, I'm. I wanna cry because she will be there. I hope. 
I hope that means maybe we'll get to see her next year. If she, if she said okay to doing this, maybe she will come. Maybe. That is Am I jinxing it by saying it out loud? Maybe. Uh, maybe a little, but a, lo <laughs> a lot of people online are saying exactly the same. Okay. Saying exactly the same. Because it, again, it feels like w when when she came that time, she played. Um, she, she had released an album Utopia, mm -hmm. and um, she played a lot of songs from Utopia with basically a flute orchestra, and it was it was pretty amazing. But is this what you say for some reason? Like, and I really liked Utopia. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I prefer this one, but I did really like Utopia. But it kind of feels like somehow she's really kind of captured the mainstream attention a bit more with this. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like that moment. Totally. Yeah. Um, and it's a very very beautiful thing. Um, shall we see what Johan has to say about Fosora? Hi Ben, hi Mar. Uh, sorry for not being there today, but I am very happy that Bjork's 10th album in her astonishing career, Fosora, is our album of the week. It is a triumph. I think it's a grower. Um, the I think one of the major accomplishments on this album is the mixing. The mixing the confrontation between Gabber style of beats and hard harder kind of beats against mellow harmonic woodwinds it's so balanced it should be taught in sound engineering courses it really is something that on paper you think oh it could be an interesting idea but in execution it could get tricky she pulls it off because she's just very good at this and she knows how to work with incredible producers uh, she even brought um, Gabber modus operandi into the fold so, you know she's it's always interesting how she finds young people uh, who are making interesting experiments with sound and electronics to mm, join her her quest for realizing these incredible sonic universes where she puts her her, her world building into action uh, El Guincho is featured heavily on this album as well I'm really happy that he's he's you know his how his career is going and how his friendship with Bjork or his creative partnership continues uh, all these years after the first time they worked together. Um, another thing that yeah, okay, the, there's one thing that I do kind of miss from my favorite phase of hers, which is obviously her empirical phase with uh, homogenic, and it's like the there's a lack of melodies in her vo in her in her delivery in her in her lyrics right i mean even though in this album there is there are some there's a lot more sloganeering shall we say which you know i miss those tunes that you could hum just from her vocal melodies uh, there are melodies that you can hum on this album like standout track of you but uh, or even Sorrowful Soil but uh, it's like she's gotten into this mode of it's like I'm just going to have these incredible slogans about all these concepts that I keep thinking of and I'm going to release them over all these electronic beats and soundscapes and stuff and sometimes it's like yeah Bjork but you were you were very good at doing pop melodies in memorable songs you know Bachelorette and Yoga all that kind of stuff State of emergency i miss a little bit of that like a clear iconic vocal melody but as i say we've been given ovule so uh i'm i'm, I'm happy with with that it's one of my favorite songs of the year i'd say so uh, yeah that's my take um i gotta get to it uh, thank you for listening
thank you, Johan, um, for that. Uh, and we are all three on board with uh, Bjork very much. I didn't ask, I forgot to ask, uh, what breakfast cereal, or what breakfast is it? I might as well keep this going for, <laughs> for another week. I, I was so it's pleased with like myself. like Icelandic flowers taken, like fresh flowers of your garden because you live in Iceland in this case and you go out of your garden and you take them out and it's still like um, watery because in the night it, it there's like I don't know how you call it in Mo uh, moist uh, yeah. yeah dew, dew. dew. Um, and, and you take it and, and you eat it with um, milk like milk that you probably have from one of your animals in Iceland and you're thinking ew that's disgusting but it's actually delicious in a way that you cannot express wow is it that not very Bjork that is did you just come up with that on, <laughs> yeah. on the spot <laughs> actually <laughs> I was going to go with an ostrich egg okay perfect I think we got it that's it uh, so Johan not only had this to say about Bjork uh, he, he was thinking about dad dad culture this week uh, let's see what he had to say if Bjork has made a matriarchal pop masterpiece that can sit comfortably next to Kate Bush's Wuthering Heights, Enya's Watermark, Erica Badu's Baduism, or Alice Coltrane's Sachidananda, I think this week we should balance out this welcome addition to the pop cultural landscape with a nod to the dads. Especially the ones who feel under attack, the ones who feel misrepresented by the cultural dialogue. Just a quick recap of some of the cool things that have happened this year that makes men with goatees and backaches a little bit cheery. Given all the stuff in youth culture that dominates the social media trends that overpopulate the dinner table discussions, where parents seem to have no place. I have taken it as my mission to Luke Skywalker the shit out of this and maintain balance in the galaxy by keeping my fellow dads at bay in case they get any crazy ideas to put forth with their privileged access to resources. So here's an open letter to dads. This summer, Top Gun Maverick, the daddest movie of the decade, became one of the highest grossing box office smashes in recent history. There was no argument, there was no backlash for some of the many things that could raise questions. For once, a hugely popular entertainment artifact just pleased the masses and no one came along to rain on the parade. Even Kelly McGillis seems to not care about being not being included in this franchise because she looks age-appropriate. Thanks to Stranger Things 4, not only did Kate Bush become celebrated by Gen Z and her bank account grow incredibly larger, which is something that dads love hearing about, Metallica also climbed back up the charts with their 1986 thrash metal anthem, Master of Puppets. Suddenly, it was okay to blast that on the way to school and raise the devil horns with your hand, and the thousands of dads could proudly brag about the times they saw Metallica live when they were young to their kids feeling just a little bit awesome for a nanosecond in the metaverse. But when it comes to the most bombastic rock moment that also left puddles of tears beneath the computer desk at home, the collective sob of rock dads watching Taylor Hawkins' son, Shane, paying tribute to his late father in the greatest way possible, playing My Hero, was definitely something that we can keep going back to when we need to feel undead inside. Speaking of crying, Roger Federer showed it's okay to cry and hold your greatest rival's hand at the same time, while Ellie Golding, a Wine Mom playlist favorite, performs a song. Ah, balance is the key. 
And the best release this week is the Disney Plus show simply titled The Old Man. A show for adults, which the young can probably enjoy. Jeff Bridges, who in real life has recently survived COVID and a lymphoma cancer, is back on form, playing a retired CIA agent who has to go on the run because someone from his shady past working as an on-the-ground operative in a conflicted country has returned, seeking vengeance. And because some people were involved with whatever happened, they don't want this to come back into the light, so they assist the person looking for blood, making life hard on the aging agent who also seems to be developing early stages of dementia. But what looked like it was going to be Jason Bourne with backaches and a pocket-sized case of pills for everything hides an interesting love story that emerges in episode 2 between Bridges and Amy Brenman, who famously played Edie in another of the daddest movie of the 90s, Michael Mann's masterpiece Heat. In that movie, her character was lousy at choosing men who had shady lives. Here, it happens again. It could be Edie moved on from being abandoned by Neil McCauley at the airport, who was played by Robert Niro's bank robbing character, who was able to drop everything in his life when he felt the heat coming around the corner. And ended, well, she ended up marrying someone else and is now a divorced mother trying to make ends meet while living in her ex-husband's dead tech postmodernistic bullshit house. Nah, it's actually a very nice house in the middle of a quiet town with a room to let. The joy of what I've seen so far in this balance of gritty physical action, including two amazing dogs, and the woes of a middle-aged mom in financial stress. It's all small details, but it looks like it will define her future decisions, making her an elemental part of this journey with the main character. It's just rewarding seeing people of a certain age kicking ass and getting on with their life. This is a genre that may have its roots in the Liam Neeson concerned father out on a revenge spree. Since Taken became a hit, we then saw Wolverine become old and struggle with physical pain and all these kind of things that dads are worrying out constantly to face mortality and age while on an incredible quest to light up a barbecue. What am I talking about? I don't know. I just want to ask the universe for the mom version of all this. I want to watch a story of a Karen grandma who has to question her own prejudices while also saving a busload of ethnically diverse children and being resourceful in a tight situation with some lighter fluid, a can of pepper spray and a rolling pin. On the other hand, inflation is on the rise and this winter our electric bills will make dads cry harder than Roger Federer at his own retirement ceremony.
I'm skinny, I'm rich, and I'm a little bit of a bitch. I wanna dress you up in silk, tap it up, tailor these clothes to fit your guilt. What's your size? This purse can hold my black card. Thank you, Johan, and thank you, uh, Lady Gaga. <laughs> Always. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Every day I thank God Lady Gaga exists. Do you know what? There should be some really good people on this show, isn't there? We had like Depeche Mode, Bjork and Lady Gaga. Yeah. I can... Yeah, the Holy Trinity. Um, Foo Fighters. We'll let it... We'll let them see... The, we'll let them be there, but they're not part of the Trinity. <laughs> We're in a good mood, so they, they can slide. But, uh, there we go. So you have... um. News, yeah. big news, it's right. Yeah. I bring my favorite thing to do, which is like come here and bring my own personal latest news, um, in which I mean that I talk about what has been obsessing me on the internet, the la- latest things on the celebrity world, and that I'm, I know I'm probably the only one <laughs> who cares about this, and I cannot force you to care about this, but I can force you to know about it, and then you can thank me later. And oh. this is what we're going to do. Yeah. You have no scapatory. <laughs> you're trapped here and you're going to have to listen. And everyone else at home too. Because it's very interesting. Please don't go. Um, well, blonde, which is not only one of the adjectives Lady Gaga uses in the track Donatella that we're listening to in her wonderful underrated album, Art Pop. But it is also now the title of one of the most hated movies ever made, ever released, ever produced, ever anything. Is this a very bad way to connect the dots? Um, no, the wor- that wor- I works for me, works for okay. me. Okay, yeah, I have your attention. Well, Blonde um, was supposed to be like, I, I bet you have, li- uh, saw, uh, have, you have seen something on the internet by now, but it was supposed to be for the people who have no internet connection or something. Um, it was supposed to be the Marilyn Monroe biopic. Well, there were lots of disclaimers like, yes, and there's a lot of um, fiction too. It's not supposed to be like an accurate biography or biopic or whatever. But still, um, that's um, allegedly, well, not allegedly, it was how it was advertised. And it was starred by Ana de Armas, who we all know and love as the girl in a Spanish TV show, El Internado. And now she is a Hollywood superstar, which is something we so much love here, I feel like, in this country to see our little stars go big on Hollywood, like Penelope Cruz and now Ana de Armas, who is actually Cuban. But <laughs> never mind. She was in Spain for her teenage years. so that's She counts. Yeah, she totally counts. Um, Well, this movie has managed to do something that has never done, has never been seen, done or anything before, which is to make every human alive come to a common agreement. And the agreement is they hate this movie. They hate it to their guts. Like, I cannot explain how much people despise this movie. I have never seen so much people hating something at the same time. And I have seen a lot of hate because wow. I have internet connection. <laughs> <laughs> Does it get more hate than Rosalia fans when it's suggested she might not be the global star they think she is? Yes. <laughs> and that's a lot of hate. But it's even more hate than that. And 
there actually are plenty of reasons to hate this movie and there are plenty of wonderful and wonderfully written articles about why you should hate it too and why you should go on the internet and make hate tweets about this movie and his director because it's not Anna de Armas' fault. Anna de Armas is actually wonderful as an actress. What happened? This movie is actually um, bullshit. Um, and you can go... I, I haven't read all of them. I bet all of them are very good. I can say you can... The variety one is very good. Or the birds one too. If you have want to go very in deep to it. Because I won't. But to put it short. Um, and this is what I will do. Because I don't want to go in too deep into anything. I just want the clickbait title of everything. And nothing else. Um, it completely destroys Marilyn Monroe real images. Which, well, yeah, they said it was fiction, whatever, whatever. Um, but it re it reduces it to like a misogynistic chaos, like weird thing to display in 2022. Like, yes, we're over this. Or as someone said on TikTok, like if you wanted to make like a movie about a starlet from the 50s who has a very difficult life and has all the Hollywood directors wanting to fuck her um, you could do it but do not put Marilyn Monroe name in this in this movie just do another movie um, it's anti-abortion propaganda and it's more than three hours so if that's not enough I have one thing that will actually blow your mind which is in the first three seconds of the movie when the title comes on screen for the first time let's remember the title is Blonde um, the title has three different fonts Like impossible. six letters, three fonts. Impossible. That's like a very good warning. Like you should not embark in this journey. Wankers <laughs> made this film, basically. <laughs> Apologies for the bad language, but you know. Yeah, um, that's it about Blonde. I'm not going to watch it ever. And I just want, didn't want to know it has three fonts in a six letter word. And that's all we should know about it. Um, coming up next, Fashion Month. Um, walk, walk, fashion, baby, look, whatever, whatever Lady Gaga says in Bad Romance. <laughs> um, here's what you missed in the 100,032 fashion weeks that have happened within this week or somehow, I don't know, they all happen simultaneously. I don't understand, but a lot of... Bella Hadid has been exploited for at least a, a month. Someone let her rest. Um, nobody is letting her rest. Nobody cares about Bella Hadid but me. Um, but what have you missed? Um, apart that from she is alive. Um, is that uh, everyone wanted to be the most popular girl on school everyone wanted to be talked about obviously this is what Fashion Week is for but it felt like it was a competition everyone was like oh Versace brought Paris Hilton on the runway well I'm gonna make chair close my um, runway said Balmain but then ABAVAV which is a new um, clothing brand Um, had the models falling down on, on the runway, so everyone was like, oh, that's so performatic, so it makes you think like, oh, it's to die for the clothing they're Just wearing. Just falling down. Yeah, they, they were walking, and then you were like, oh my god, she fell, oh my god, the model fell, that's a horrible catastrophe, but no, it was all planned. It was also, you talk, every single model fell on the runway, so you like, the, the clothing made you like, fall, because it, they were so good. Well, I don't know, it was like a metaphor or something. Then there was this man that I'm not gonna name opening the Balenciaga show, um, which was like all muddy. Um, it's Kanye West. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see? I was just about to search for it. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna do. 
Um, yes, mm, Kanye West opened the damn show of Balenciaga with that had a lot of mud. Um, okay, um, then was um, Kim Kardashian eating spaghetti at the Dolce Gabbana show, and Loewe had the most weird, amazing um, guest list, which included Arca, Victoria Federica, which is the daughter of mm, the king's sister. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Ooh, I've got lots of opinions about, <laughs> yeah. but I'm not sure we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, Bad Yal, Charlie XCX, Emily Ratajkowski, and Ziwe, and a lot of more. But they, they were all together, like which felt like the Avengers to me, but in a weird way. Um, but any of them, like none of these shows that I just said, won the prize of being the most talked about, the only one, the only show that we should remember, the only iconic um, piece of fashion, because Coperni had the balls to go there and have Bella Hadid naked on stage, obviously Bella Hadid, um, and make her a dress with like an airbrush thing that was invented by a Catalan dude. Yeah, I saw that, I saw that, yeah. Look at that, you had no idea of anything that happened on Fashion Week, you didn't even know Kanye opened the Balenciaga show, but you knew about the Coperni thing. So that's how you know you won Fashion Week. Like, everyone is obsessed, Bella Hadid, was possessed by like a fairy or something because the way she walked after the dress was made like everything felt magical Coperni won that's all we need to know and everyone else failed I feel I have five minutes and I cannot um, put my mind around it because I have a lot more to talk about and well about the man that I shall not name that I have already named which is Kanye West (laughs) and I don't want to talk about him anymore I wanted to talk about the actual news which is that Kim Kardashian is making is going into crime show podcasting. Really? Yeah, in no. an ex- Spotify exclusive. And all I wish for is that her first cases are her two lawsuits, two million dollar lawsuits that she's facing for promoting fraudulent things on Instagram Cryptocurrency, stories. right? Cryptocurrency and like a scam that she made you think An that you... An alleged scam, I reckon. Nothing is what you're looking for. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, sorry, Kim, if you're listening, I know you're a lawyer, a very good one, don't sue me. Um, an alleged scam that she, that she made you think you could win like a thousand Louis Vuitton bags and Hermes mm, wallets and stuff like that, like high brands that you could just win by uh, commenting. I want to win in her comment section. So that's a scam, and and she's been outed for that, and she will have to go to court, and she will probably talk about it in on her podcast. I wish because it's a crime show podcast, so uh, she's a good one to talk about her own case. Um, now I I don't know which one to pick. Um, do you want to know about um, what have the M's been up to this week? The Absolutely, famous yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, our favorite twenty-one-year-old. Everyone's favorite 21-year-old Emma Chamberlain has finally revealed her amazing house mansion, um, Eleganza Extravaganza house in the Beverly Hills area, which was $4 million, and that she has been renovating for a whole year because we all know everything about um, Emma Chamberlain because we're all obsessed and we all know what she's up to. And we all knew she was had been renovating this house for a whole year and she has been living out of a suitcase for a year because of this damn house she has finally revealed it in a very iconic way which is having AD come to your house and make these um, videos that I feel like everyone watches or at least I do obsessively of celebrity houses and they show you and and they can either be the tackiest house you have ever seen or the coolest most rich house you have ever seen 
And Emma Chamberlain, of, of course, has these standards very high because she always delivers. She's the best always. But imagine showing your $4 million house and everyone expecting you to be the most iconic house ever. Obviously, it's going to be a beautiful house. She has great taste. But as my friend says, she's American at the same time. So it means she has in her blood like bad taste too. Like she cannot hide it 100%. So her house was beautiful, but uh, it had rose gold faucets. Beautiful. No, that's not beautiful. No, that's the it? American part. Sounds having, quite having rose gold. Why would you have rose gold? It's not 2014, Emma. You're going to hate it <laughs> in two weeks. Why would you have someone show you faucet and be, yeah, the rose gold one? No. Okay. Stop I, being American. <laughs> okay. I thought I was doing quite well, but I don't know what rose gold is. Rose oh, gold rose is gold. like a... That's a horrible color. That's a horrible, yeah. Uh, well, I, the, the faucets in the kitchen are rose gold. And that's all I have to say. And obviously, Troy Sivan's house remains undefeated. He's not American. <laughs> He's Australian. <laughs> so that's why his house is the best idea house. If you have not seen it, please do. I have I watched this video religiously. It's the best house I have ever seen in my life. And you will, will too. You will never see a house that good. And Emma Chamberlain can try to compete, but you cannot compete where you cannot compare. I'm sorry, Emma, I love you. But your house is beautiful. I'm, I'm not saying that. Um... Do you want me to talk about the last Emily? Um, and Emily, not not Emma. It's another M, but no, it's not an Emma. It's an Emily. Um, Emily Ratajkowski, I said her name right for the first time ever, um, came to prove my point that I said like a few months back that all the it girls love Barcelona and they want to make Barcelona the new it city because New York is not it anymore. Well, she said, I want to. I listened to the weekly review <laughs> and I'm going to prove your point because you're totally correct. Well, she didn't go to Barcelona because maybe she didn't want to make it that obvious, but she went to Mallorca. And you know what? She did a photo dump. Of course she did because she obviously listens to the weekly review. And you know what? She come, like made the caption in Catalan. M. Rata knows Catalan. Okay, so this proof that the It Girls are obsessed not only with Barcelona, but with Els Països Catalans. This is our time for independence. Emily Ratajkowski is our president. We have to follow her to whatever she leads us to, which is independence. And independence in like a neat girl, cool, coquette, um, Tumblr, whatever, hot girls only way, Catalunya Lliure. Wow. This is what's happening. This is all you missed. Wow, I didn't miss any. All right, well, we, we, we've got to go. I think after that, I'm going to have to say fins despres. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, I've been mangling the Catalan pronunciation today. It's a terrible day. But look, it was a, it was a, it was a pleasure, and we'll be back next week with doubtless more gossip and filth and uh, that kind of stuff. <laughs> See you later. I don't care if these bitches don't like me, cause like I'm pretty as fuck. <laughs> Just the other day, I heard a hoe say Matter of fact, what could a hoe say? With a face like this and a bitch this pay Shit, what could a hoe say? The bag so expensive, my pussy came with it Body so nice, they be saying who did it But everything natural, actual, factual Prissy in the streets, but I fuck like an animal All you hoes know who the fuck I am From your boyfriend down to my Instagram To all them busted ass hoes that you kiki with I bet your jaw drop if you ever see me, bitch I'm her, 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 her. She, she Just see me in it playing, catch up.
up Bitches looking like Lil Megan's playing dress up Would I ever spend a block on a nigga? Never I don't even wear outfit twice Dead them, any bitch got a problem probably never Met them, tell her hey the kids both cheeks child Bella, but I'm used to the chatter cause I'm her, 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 her. She, she, she Hate giving me a pretty face I eat hate, that's why I ain't got a waste The more hoes hate, more money I'ma make And the more niggas talk, more niggas wanna take Cause I'm the most sickening hoes So fucking sick of me No matter what they do or say it Ain't no getting rid of me I come in every room and draw attention like a centipede Stepping for a long time, moving like a centipede I ain't scared of shit, man or a bitch To everybody hating, y'all can suck this clip Cause the hate campaign ain't working at all I ain't Jack or Jill, bitch, I ain't gon' fall I'm her, 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 her